More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. But sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Until that happens, this is Survivor Sanctuary, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse who are navigating the road to healing and for anyone who wants to be a part of the major heart renovation the church needs so that our faith communities can truly become sanctuaries for survivors. Hello and welcome to another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. I'm Kelly, your host, and I'm excited as always that you've taken the time to tune into the podcast, whatever you happen to be doing. If you're listening to the podcast close to the time of its original airing, then what you might be doing is finding yourself with a lot of extra time on your hands since we're all under quarantine a little bit and not really able to leave the house much. I mean, it depends on, I guess, your profession and if your job is essential. If it is essential, you're still out and about, you're still going to work, you're still doing a lot of things. Um, But for a lot of us, we're stuck in the house. Today marks the seventh day that I have not left my house. And well, by that, I mean the yard. I've been out in the yard some, but haven't gotten in the car, haven't driven anywhere, haven't gone into a store, nothing. It's just been me, the dog, the house, and a lot of crazy thoughts. So maybe you find yourself with some extra time to listen to podcasts. And if so, I guess that's a good thing. Um, And you know, I thought before I started recording this podcast that we're all stressed out. You can't really turn on the TV. You can't pick up your phone and look at Facebook. You can't even talk to friends or watch the news. Nothing without being inundated with a lot of stuff about coronavirus, COVID-19, this scary illness that is attacking people globally and that everybody's kind of freaked out about right now. So I didn't want to make this podcast episode all about coronavirus because we are dealing with enough of that in our regular lives. But I did want to mention it enough to just acknowledge that I know we're going through a little bit of a tough time right now, or a lot bit of a tough time right now, and things feel a little bit weird. Uh, Things feel kind of crazy, like not leaving the house, not going out with your regular routine, not seeing people in person anymore. Like, I totally get it. It's it's very stressful for a lot of us. And so while uh, for some of us, like me, it's always been my dream to work from home. I'm always thinking, why do I need a three-hour commute every single day? I don't. I can do my work right here. And while that's true, and yes, I can at the same time, I kind of miss humanity just a little bit. Well, I miss humanity until I see people buying like 7,000 rolls of toilet paper when I only have one and a half left to my name for who knows how long. You know, then the humanity, not so much. But I just wanted to mention uh, briefly that I I know that it's a stressful time for everybody right now, and I just wanted to offer you a little bit of encouragement. If I can, we're going to get through this. We're in this together. And yes, life is weird right now, and I know there are a lot of people who are going through a lot of really terrible things right now, um, but we are going to get through this. And someday we are going to look back on this time and just remember it as that weird time in life when we all had to be quarantined because of coronavirus. And I'm hoping and praying that that time comes really soon. But in the meantime, I just want to make sure that you're doing everything that you can to take care of you during this crisis. Uh, If you have a family to take care of, maybe a spouse or some kids, you might be focused on that. If you have 
a lot of work that has to get done. Despite the fact that you're quarantined, you might be focused on that. Maybe you're focused on trying to help with, with these relief efforts in whatever way that can be. I know that some people are like sewing masks and my goodness, I have a brand new sewing machine sitting in my garage that I've never touched because I don't know how to sew. And I'm thinking, um, people could be using that right now to make coronavirus masks. Um, they don't want me to do it or they will definitely be faulty. But regardless of what you find yourself doing right now and what you're keeping busy with, I want to make sure that everybody's taking some time to care for themselves. It's easy to get caught up in what we can do for other people. And honestly, I think that that's kind of just a way that we distract ourselves. It's a way to kind of keep our brains from totally focusing on what it is that we're going through. If we focus on something else, like how we can help, how we can keep our kids sane, how we can keep our house clean, whatever it is, then we don't have to think about the scariness of the world around us. And so while that's understandable, I just wanted to make sure that I encouraged you today, if you haven't done something to care for yourself every single day, try to make that a part of your routine. Just try to fit it in somewhere. And I don't know what that looks like for you. It's probably different for everybody. And I could go into like a long drawn out speech about self-love and self-care and all that stuff. And those are good things. They definitely are. Um, But if you're like me, you kind of tend to be a little bit cynical. It's hard to get in and just focus on, okay, I need to care about myself right now and I need to make sure that I'm staying sane. But it is super important that we do that at this time. I know for me, I'll just speak from my personal experience, my brain does not like change. And I have a feeling that a very large portion of the population is the exact same way. My brain just rebels when I go through some kind of weird change. When life feels different than normal, I get a lot more anxiety and it just tends to be a little difficult for me. I know I'm not alone in that. And so for me, I think this whole thing, like not going to work suddenly and being in the house all the time and and kind of being concerned. I have a, a mom who's in the medical field. She's a nurse practitioner. They see sick people all day. And even though they tell people not to come to the office if they have symptoms of coronavirus to go straight to the health department or an emergency room or a testing facility, people do it anyway. They make up illnesses like, oh, my hip really hurts and I need to come in. And then they come in like hacking and coughing all over everyone. So I have a lot of concern for my mom, uh, my dad, who is not in good health at all and needs to be kept away from all that junk. So there's just a lot of stress on us and I get that. So it's more important than ever that we're taking a little bit of time every single day to do something for ourselves to kind of help keep us sane. So I had a couple of ideas that popped into my head and one of the ideas that I had was meditation. There's so much science behind how helpful meditation can be for us to ease anxiety, to ease depression, just to help us feel more centered and grounded and a little more calm and peaceful. So there are so many apps out there You can download the Calm app, the 10% Happier app. There are so many different meditation apps, and you can try a little guided meditation. And essentially, they're just going to tell you to focus on your breathing and uh, close your eyes, focus on your breathing, and try not to focus on or grab on to any particular thought. And it is scientifically proven to really help, so it might be a good idea. Another idea I had was yoga. And Jimmy Hinton, who is a sexual abuse advocate, um, posted something of his sister's the other day, and I shared it on our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group page. So if you go there, you can find it. It is a link to his sister's yoga video. Now, his sister has a yoga studio. She's a survivor of sexual abuse, and she had to close down the studio because of coronavirus. Absolutely no choice. So that's a small business. That's how she makes her living. And suddenly she doesn't have that. So what Alex did was she made videos and they're uploaded to Vimeo and you can actually rent them so you can 
try out her yoga. That seems like a great way to stay calm and focused and centered and not go crazy during this time. And so I posted a link to one of her videos in the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. So if you're in there, you can find it right there on the top posts. And five bucks, you can rent a really great yoga video and maybe try it out. Another idea is just taking like an hour a day maybe two hours, maybe the whole day, if you want to stay super sane, to just get off of social media, get away from the TV, unplug, and just try not to focus on all the voices screaming at us right now. I know it's a scary time, and a lot of times we feel like the more information we have, the better it's going to be. But I think that the opposite might be more true in this case, because the more I hear, it's like, I'll hear something and it comforts me for a second. And then I hear something else. Like today, um, a person posted their experience with uh, coronavirus. And one of the first symptoms was he said he just kept getting this random runny nose and it would just come and go like, and suddenly I had a runny nose and off and on this entire day. I've had a runny nose. Now I know it's allergies. It's, it's allergy season. My allergies are acting up like crazy and being home. It's different than normal. So while I normally don't get a runny nose, the second I read that story, of course, I'm focused in on that. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh no, I'm getting coronavirus. I'm going to infect my dog. I'm going to infect my family. It's just this rabbit hole that I don't think we all need to be going down every single day. If you're super like grounded and focused and you don't let things bother you, good for you. For me, though, a good idea to just get away from that phone for a little while every single day. So those are just a few things that I thought of. If you have any other ideas, I'd love to hear about them in the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. You can join us there on Facebook. Just search Survivor Sanctuary. Ask to join. I'll add you and you can start up any conversation you want to start up. You can respond to other conversations people have had. And I'd love to hear kind of your ideas of how to stay sane during this whole uh, pandemic. And it's a little bit more difficult for us. And I don't know the exact psychology behind it all. But when, like many of us, you've grown up a survivor of trauma, your brain has these ways that it's learned to cope and ways that it's learned to survive. And I think that some of them might be helping us right now. I feel like we're always in like anxious people and I have a lot of anxiety. Anxious people are constantly preparing for the worst. Our brains are hypervigilantly looking for every single thing that could possibly go wrong, every worst case scenario. And so now we're kind of in it, right? It's like we've been preparing for this our whole lives and here we are, uh, but it doesn't feel good. And so I don't know. I just want to make sure that everybody has an outlet. If you want to chat, if you want to talk to me, if you want to talk to anybody on the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook, Facebook group to just let us know how you're feeling and maybe give us some ideas of things we could do to stay sane, something that's helped you. That would be absolutely amazing. So we're all in this together. I did want to say that it doesn't feel like it when we're quarantined and we're not allowed to be within six feet of each other, but we are, we're all in this together. I know we're going to get through this and we have such a great community of people in the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group that I know that your words are helping other people. The encouragement you're giving is helping, even down to just posting funny memes. And uh, Eric Peterson, who I had on the podcast recently, he is the king of funny coronavirus memes. And he had like several steps that he was ahead of us for a while because Australia experienced the great toilet paper shortage of 2020 before it got to the States. Instead of laughing at all his toilet paper memes, I probably should have taken note and been like, huh, maybe I should start stocking up on toilet paper in case this moves to the United States. Did I do that though? No, I have two very scant dollar store rolls of toilet paper right now. 
And I'm just looking at that stack of Kentucky Fried Chicken napkins that the Postmates girl brought to me when she delivered. She must have known that I was short on toilet paper. She brought me like 50 napkins. And I was like, all right, these might come in handy. In any case, even if you're just trying to make people laugh, I know we've got some really great folks on the Facebook page, Facebook group that... um, you can encourage each other. And so I want to encourage you to join us there and do that. If you have some advice, um, some words that might just help keep people calm, something funny, anything you want to share, we'd love to hear from you. And any ideas for how we can stay sane during this mess would be very welcomed as well. So diving into today's episode of Survivor Sanctuary, there's a story that I have wanted to tell you for a while. And so I decided to tell it on today's episode. And the story that I'm going to tell relates to reframing some of our thoughts and experiences around sexual abuse. Now, when I say reframing, I don't mean uh, you're going to go and look at every single horrible experience that has ever happened to you and you're going to say, it wasn't bad, it was positive and upbeat and wonderful. That's not the kind of reframing I'm talking about. And I think the best way to get into it is to use a personal example uh, from my own life of how something related to abuse was reframed actually for me. I don't feel like I worked at all to reframe this. It just kind of magically happened as I dove into the healing process. So let's go back. I'm six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, and a little girl who has gone through some trauma and something pretty terrible, difficult to deal with, and something that ultimately changed the way that I behaved. Now, looking back, I can totally see why I began to change as a person. I'll talk about a little bit how I was before the abuse. I was a person who was very delighted by other people. I was not Uh, afraid of men. I might have been a little shy around them, but it wasn't something where I didn't trust men. I was very delighted by all human beings, men included, and I just, I loved socially interacting with people. I loved to talk. I know that's very, very difficult for you to uh, believe right now, but I assure you I did love to talk as a little kid. I was just very loving and delighted by other people. I was especially delighted by the man who ended up abusing me. He was somebody that I just completely trusted, never crossed my little six-year-old mind that a person who was so kind and tender and caring and fun uh, would ever have anything but my best interest at heart. Of course, that's not going to cross my mind because I was a six-year-old little girl and I had never experienced the level of violation that I was getting ready to experience. So after my abuse, those things about me that made me love my abuser and made me trust my abuser became things that my brain no longer trusted. So that innocence, that childlike delight in other humans, the trust that I had for other people, especially for men, all of that was suddenly called into question by my brain that was working overtime to protect me from experiencing any further trauma. And so what that looked like in my life was I went from a very happy, giggly, delighted little girl to, you know, I probably still giggled and was delighted at things as well, but I was a much more guarded person, especially when it came to the opposite sex, and I did not like any form of vulnerability. 
Now, you know, you've probably heard, if you haven't experienced it yourself, that in order to have a good relationship, you need to be able to be vulnerable. It's just not really easy if you can't be emotionally vulnerable with another human being. It's hard to get close. So that was one of the things that kind of went out the window for me. I developed this contempt for vulnerability, and I know now that it was because that vulnerability to my subconscious mind was what got me abused. I had allowed myself to be vulnerable. I'd allowed myself to trust and be delighted in, in a person who should have had my best interest at heart. And they ended up doing something terrible to me. So it would stand to reason that my brain then believed it needed to never trust anyone again, especially not dudes. So that contempt for vulnerability showed up in my actions and in my relationships as what you might call um, combative. I wasn't this soft and sweet and tender person anymore. I was more harsh and I was more harsh with the opposite sex, especially because, well, for obvious reasons, I was self-protecting. And this wall that I put up tended to be looked at people as anger as combativeness, as something that was just overall negative. And so then not only was I dealing with trying to recover from this abuse that happened to me and that kind of destroyed that vulnerability in the first place, but I had this secondary problem then that lasted the rest of my life. I, I still struggle with it at times. The secondary problem was that because the abuse had messed with my ability to be vulnerable, I now had to deal with the fact that I was treated a certain way or looked at a certain way or thought of a certain way because of that lack of vulnerability. So it was like this double whammy, you know, the abuse itself, that sucked. And then my reaction to the abuse and the way that I was treated and the way that I was viewed by people in general because of that it was just like this double-edged sword. And it was a struggle for me growing up. I could not stand to be viewed as combative, but I could not be anything else when I was faced with any situation that made me feel like I was going to look vulnerable or be vulnerable to another human being. Because in my experience, vulnerability was dangerous and vulnerability resulted in horrible things like being sexually abused by people that I loved. So maybe I wouldn't have noticed this combativeness. Maybe I wouldn't have noticed this harsher way that I was dealing with the world if I didn't have people in my life telling me a lot of the time that that's what I was doing. Uh, but, you know, I had a dad and a mom. I had a sister and I had three younger brothers. And there were no shortage of people letting me know that I was acting in this not super sweet, ladylike manner, that I was being more combative, that I was being more harsh. And I got compared a lot. And I think I've mentioned this on previous episodes of Survivor Sanctuary. I got compared a lot to my grandma, Linda, and my great-grandma, Mary Jane. Uh, both women, by the way, I learned later in life, had experienced sexual abuse and sexual assault. So their combativeness and their anger kind of makes a little bit more sense to me now. Um, both of them experience very, very awful traumas in their life. And so who knows? Part of it may just be genetic that I get a little bit of their personalities. You know, no shortage of opinions and no shortage of standing up for yourself or other people. 
um, maybe I got some of that genetically. But I think a lot of it was that all three of us had experienced some pretty awful stuff in our lives that had kind of created this hard outer shell that people had difficulty penetrating. When somebody would call me Linda, when somebody would call me Mary Jane, when somebody would just make any kind of comment about the way that I was acting as though that I wasn't this sweet, vulnerable person, I would get so upset and that would make it even worse. I just hated it. And so it was something that for years I got teased with. You know, I had three younger brothers. The second that they learn that something bothers you, they can do nothing else but tease you mercilessly with that thing. And that's what they did. So I got called Linda. I got called Mary Jane a lot. And I was just constantly kind of treated like I was bullheaded. And maybe I was sometimes not saying I wasn't, but it was just a source of constant contention for me. And it made me hate that about myself. I despised the fight in myself. I despised that lack of vulnerability. And yet I relied on it to keep myself safe. So I was in this situation where I hadn't put myself in this place and I couldn't get out of it, but I also didn't want to get out of it because I needed to protect myself. So just a conundrum, if you will. So one day I remember being in our white minivan with maroon interior. It was lovely. It wasn't lovely. It was hideous, but um, I was probably around 12 years old. And my dad traveled a lot to preach at different churches. And on this particular Sunday, I have no idea what church we went to because we went to so many. He was always preaching at a different church every Sunday. We were on the road a lot. But I do know that at this particular church, we were given these Bible bookmarks. So they were bookmarks that we could put in our Bibles and, you know, just hold our place or whatever. A little treat that they give out at church. Not a big deal. I'm sure I would have preferred candy because... I loved it, still do, but we got a bookmark instead. So this bookmark actually was a list of names and name meanings. And I really wasn't paying too close attention to my bookmark. But then one of my lovely brothers uh, definitely read the whole thing. And when he discovered my name, I will never forget this experience because it made me so angry and humiliated and upset. I'm positive I cried. I probably yelled. Um, they found my name. One of my brothers busted out laughing, like spitting all over himself. And he was like, oh my gosh, your name means warrior woman. And some people might be thinking, yeah, that's a pretty BA name. <laughs> like who wouldn't be proud of the fact that you're a warrior woman. But for someone whose uh, combativeness, maybe a little harshness or someone whose fight had been used against them their whole lives, the worst thing in the entire world that somebody could tell me was that my name meant warrior woman. My face was totally red. I was humiliated. And of course, that humiliation, pretty vulnerable, it immediately turned to fury. I was so angry. I was angry at my brothers for reading the bookmark. I was angry at the stupid Sunday school lady who gave my brothers this Bible bookmark so that they could find out that my name meant warrior woman and they could make fun of me for the rest of my life. And they absolutely did. I am pretty sure that it was into my adult years past college, the last time that somebody brought up the fact that my name meant warrior woman. 
it was never said to me in a positive manner. It was always said as an insult. And probably it wouldn't have been quite as insulting had I not felt like all of the feistiness in me and that desire to stand up for people and to push back against things that I thought were wrong. If I hadn't felt like those things were so bad and such awful characteristics, then maybe I would have rethought the whole warrior woman thing. But for me, it was absolutely humiliating. And I want to tell you, even though I was 12 years old when I found that out about my name, it was something that embarrassed me into my 30s. And that has not been all that long ago. We're talking a handful of years since the last time I cringed at the thought that my name meant warrior woman. Now, some people have tried to take the name Kelly and make it into warrior princess. They kind of, the the way they get around the actual meaning of the name, um, I'm not sure. But the way that I've read it, it means brave warrior. And depending on if you're a man or a woman, warrior man or warrior woman. All I know is it was super embarrassing for me and definitely a point of contention and something I would have appreciated if no one had ever remembered for the remainder of my life. But I'm pretty sure if you ask anyone in my family what my name means, they can tell you that. And the reason is not because that was celebrated when I was a kid. It was because I was made fun of for it as a child. It wasn't until a few years into my advocacy, a few years into fighting for justice for people who had been abused, a few years into fighting to keep my abuser from harming other little girls, it wasn't until I had been doing that for a while that I felt, now I'm not one of those people that will say they heard audibly from the Lord or that he like gently whispered something in my ear, but I remember just passionately fighting for what I felt like was right when it came to other people who could potentially be abused or other people who had been abused, that I just all of a sudden heard the word warrior. And for the first time in my entire life, I wasn't embarrassed by it. For the first time in my entire life, I felt like that was a name that somebody could use when referring to me and not mean it in a derogatory way. Now, the word warrior especially if you're a guy, I'll say, Um, maybe you're thinking like there are worse things you could be called. And I will 100% agree with you. Um, There are worse things that I could be called. I just know that because that was such a point of contention with me as a child, I hated myself for being harsh. I hated myself that I couldn't be vulnerable. I hated all of that harshness that the abuse had brought out in me. It was self-protective And then, like I mentioned, not only was I dealing with trying to get over the abuse, I was also trying to deal with the fact that this effect of the abuse was causing me to be ridiculed by other people, by the people who I wanted to care about me, by the people who I wanted to know that my heart was still soft. So I mentioned reframing earlier, and I don't know how else to describe the way that I went from viewing my name as something awful to viewing it as something that, hey, might actually be a compliment, except to say that that was totally reframed for me. And again, not the kind of person that just believes that God audibly speaks to me and that every single thing is hyper-spiritualized. But I will tell you the day that I heard that word used in regard to something that I was doing when I thought that might be a name that someone could use in reference to me 
maybe even God, and be saying it with a sense of pride and not contempt. I'll never forget where I was sitting. I was just in my car. I was in the parking lot of a grocery store. I don't even remember what I was waiting on. I just know I was waiting for something. And I have no idea what was on the radio, what was popping into my head at this time. It was just this massive shift of this deep-seated belief that I had had for my entire life. Like this deep-seated belief suddenly was uprooted and completely reframed in my mind. Now, it took me a minute. You know, it wasn't like this instantaneous. It took me a second to kind of adjust to that because it takes a second for you to stop looking at something the way that you've looked at it your entire life and suddenly seeing it in a new light. But it was almost like I was given the permission to look at myself, to look at my personality, to look at some of the ways that I had developed after abuse in a positive light instead of a negative one. And again, I'm not somebody to be like, oh, I heard the audible voice of the Lord from heaven say unto me, Kelly, you are a warrior. No, it wasn't like that. But it was kind of like one of those moments where I could feel a genuine love. I could feel a sense of when God looks at me and thinks of me as that word, he doesn't think of it in a negative light. In fact, he might be kind of proud of me. There have only been a couple of moments in my recovering from sexual abuse, only a couple of moments since I started this whole process of moving into my story and trying to unravel all of the knots and and things that have been jumbled up in my life because of abuse. Only a couple of instances where I can truly say that something magical just happened for me. And this was one of them where I didn't feel like I had to do a lot of work or sit and write out a lot of stuff. I mean, I had been doing work in therapy, so maybe that was just something that had been moving me toward this reframing all the time without me knowing it. But only a couple of times where I felt like I didn't have to do a lot of work. This was definitely one of those times, just one of those moments where I was like, huh, my whole life I have felt like I suck because people call me warrior woman, that I suck because I fight for people. And all of a sudden I felt like I just had permission to view that as something good. And I feel like that day, and as I mentioned, it took a minute. It was something that I had held on to for years, but that day was where that shift began, where I started to think of myself, of some of the things that had gotten me through the abuse as not being such terrible things after all. Maybe it was because I had been fighting to try and help some girls that I felt like were in danger because of the man who abused me. Maybe it was because suddenly my ability to be combative, my ability to fight for other people was actually working in my favor when it came to fighting against sexual abuse and fighting for justice for people who were in danger of not just the man who abused me, but other people who had abused children as well. It was when I started using maybe all those tools in my belt that those parts of my personality that I had hated for so many years, those parts of my personality who had just been this source of ridicule and shaming and humiliation were suddenly things that were helping me get stuff done and that were helping me to be able to speak up for other people who couldn't speak up for themselves. So when I talk about reframing, that's the kind of reframing that I'm talking about. It's not to look back at 
everything that's happened to you and say, oh, it was a really good thing that I was sexually abused by someone. It was really good that I was assaulted. It was really good that I was violated because in the end, X, Y, Z. No, Uh, the things that happened to us that violated us and that were violent against us and that were traumatic for us were not good things. They're they're not. Um, Trauma, abuse, sexual violence, whatever it is that you've experienced in your life that is traumatic for you is not a good thing. Those are not good experiences. But those experiences tend to frame how we think about a lot of things about ourselves. And maybe we don't realize it. Maybe there's a name that you've given yourself in contempt. Uh, Maybe a name that relates to something that you feel made you more vulnerable to abuse. That's what it came down to in my own life. I could not stand the vulnerable parts of me because those parts meant that I was abused by someone who basically was able able to fool me into thinking he was this trustworthy, awesome person. And me being gullible just fell for it hook, line, and sinker. Of course, looking back, I know there was no way that I couldn't not fall for it because I was innocent and I was childlike and trusting and delighted in this person. There was no way I could have known the kind of things that he had up his sleeve, the sinister plans that he had for me. There was no way for me to know that. And I see that now as an adult, but as a child and even as a teen and and into my adult years, that vulnerability was something to be viewed with contempt. But so was my tendency to fight, my tendency to charge ahead and just kind of combat anything that I felt was unjust. I took on that name, warrior, which was the literal definition of my actual name, but I took it on as something to be embarrassed about. I took it on as something to, again, have contempt for. The same way that I had contempt for my vulnerability, I developed this contempt for the fight in me because in my mind, it made me unlovable to other people. So the vulnerability made me easy to abuse. But the fight in me actually made me unlovable. And I carried that for a really long time. So one of the things that I wanted to ask you today is what are some of the names that you've given yourself? What are some of the names that abuse has given to you? What are the parts of you that maybe you hold in contempt? The way that I held my vulnerability and my delight and my love in contempt, my innocence in contempt, and my reaction to that, that warrior-like personality that I held in contempt as well. Are there parts of you that you've done that to? Parts of you that you look at that you just don't like because you think maybe this made me an easy target for abuse. Maybe this part of my personality made it easy for somebody to make me their prey. Or on the flip side of that, as I experienced, maybe this part of my personality makes it impossible for somebody else to love me because I'm too combative. I'm too much of a fighter. I'm too loud. I'm too opinionated. I'm too fill in the blank. Is there some name that you have given yourself? Is there some name that's been given to you by somebody else? Is there a trait to your personality that you find yourself loathing In the aftermath of having been abused and having survived abuse, the only way you knew how or the only way your subconscious mind could figure out how to do for you. I'm not even asking you to think of how you could reframe those things. Because honestly, 
I feel like the work does itself when you open up your mind to that possibility that maybe you've been looking at something wrong. Maybe you haven't. Maybe there's a name you call yourself or there's something you believe about yourself and you, you write it down on a piece of paper now and nothing seems to change about it. But there's a chance that if you start to dissect those parts of you that maybe you've held in contempt, those parts of you that you haven't liked and that you feel make you unlikable, maybe if you actually write them down or say them out loud, the mystery behind them, the magic behind them, the negativity behind them will come unraveled because that's exactly what happened to me. Now on most days, I'm pretty proud to say my name means warrior. And actually my parents picked a really good name because that's what I am. I don't pick up a sword and go fight people. But one thing I do every single opportunity that I get is fight for people who are vulnerable to abuse, is fight for people who don't have the ability to fight for themselves. And I don't say that in a way to be like, oh, I'm so proud of me because I'm awesome that I do this. It's something that is literally ingrained in my personality. If I see something that I feel like is unjust, it's very difficult for me to keep my mouth shut about it. And you know what? That has its positives and its negatives. Like there's definitely stuff that I'll say, hmm, Kelly, maybe, maybe you should have just, you know, counted to 120,000 before you sent that email. Or Kelly, maybe you should have thought um, quietly for an hour or two before you confronted this person. Like, yeah, there are definitely times when that warrior-like mentality can get you in trouble. But the point is, it's a part of who I am. It's a part of the personality that God gave me. And some of it, yes, was shaped by the fact that I was abused. Some of it was thrust on me because somebody decided to decimate the innocence and the sweetness about me. Those things are still there. But one thing I am absolutely positive of is that if I had never been sexually abused, if I hadn't developed that combative nature because of what happened to me, I probably wouldn't be sitting here right now talking to you. I probably wouldn't be speaking out about sexual abuse. I would probably be way too concerned what other people might think about me. And that's not to say that I don't worry what other people think about me. Um, I'm a human being and I do. But I just think that some of the characteristics that were developed in me as a result of having gone through abuse are actually characteristics and traits that are serving me in the position that I'm in now. Do they need to be harnessed to use for good? Absolutely. Do I sometimes just need to maybe put the sword down? Probably. But whether that's true or not, I don't have to be embarrassed anymore of what my name means or more importantly, who I am. Because I a thousand percent believe that what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. What I don't believe is that he planned what happened to me. What I don't believe is that God was like, hey, go sexually abuse that child of mine over there so that one day she can grow up and fight for people who have been abused. I don't think that at all. <laughs> but what I do believe is that God has the ability to reframe the worst things that happened to us. And he doesn't ever look at us and say, it's good that this happened. It's good you went through this trauma. It's a great thing that somebody did horrible things to you. I don't believe that God ever does that. I think that he acknowledges in a way that's difficult for so many of us to acknowledge that what happened to us sucked and was horrible 
and was downright wrong and sinful and terrible. But that's not the end of our story. That's not where the framing is finished. That's not where the period is put. And maybe for some of us, that's where we've put it. Maybe for some of us, we've thought, well, this is who I am. This is what's happened to me. Uh, This is the name I am. I'm unlovable. I'm not worthy of protection. I'm not enough. I'm too much. There's one I've dealt with a lot in my life. I'm dirty. I'm gullible. I'm too vulnerable. What names have you given yourself? What names has the abuse that you experienced given to you? What names have the people around you given to you, not knowing the damage that they're doing? I don't think it's your job to look at those things and decide how to reframe them. I just think you open up the possibility of that happening when you're willing to look into your experience and acknowledge that those names are there. Maybe in all this COVID-19 coronavirus worldwide pandemic uh, downtime, you have a little time to maybe just start thinking about that. Maybe jot down a few notes. What is it that I've told myself about me as a response to the abuse that I experienced? You might be surprised at what comes up for you. And you also might be surprised about your ability to see those things in a different way. Well, that is going to do it for me. I am off to cut t-shirts into squares in case these two rolls of toilet paper do run out. I'm going to just continue to move through my week. And I, I totally mean it. Come see us on the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook page. We'd love to have you. We'd love to encourage you there and be encouraged by you there as well. And if you want to continue the discussion about today's podcast and the names we give ourselves in the aftermath of abuse, well, the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group is a great place to start. So we'll see you there and I'll catch you back here next time on another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.